Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Communicating Confidently podcast. Today's episode is all about how you can stop overthinking for work success. My guest today is Melody Wilding, and she is the best-selling author of Trust Yourself. She's an award-winning executive coach to sensitive strivers. She's also a keynote speaker. She is the person to talk about how we can stop overthinking. The truth is, I am a huge overthinker. Sometimes I overthink too much that it can sabotage me making progress. Melody and I are going to be talking about this as well as share all our favorite tips to overcome this. So let's get started. Hi, Melody. How are you doing? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for making the time to be here. I'm so thrilled that you are here. And I still see if there is some tech issues on your end, like I said earlier, just kind of refreshing can get you back on track. Now, I want to let you know, Melody, we have over 80 people who are on live with us right now, which is fantastic. So Melody, I know I did a quick intro of you, but please let us know who you are, the work you do, and just how amazing you are, honestly. Sure. Well, thank you again, Jessica. It is an honor to be here and to be with all of you. I am Melody Wilding. I am a licensed social worker, executive coach, human behavior professor. And as Jessica said, my first book, Trust Yourself, uh, came out last year. And what I do all day and every day is help sensitive strivers, which I know we'll talk more about, help those people get out of their own way so they can find the confidence and the balance to lead more effectively and actually experience more success without so much stress. So I have to ask, just to kick off our conversation, what got you thinking about writing this book? Was this something that you resonated with yourself? Or tell us a little bit about how this all came to be. How did you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, you know, I I believe it. Well, this is the case for me that I teach what I most need to learn. <laughs> so Trust Yourself really came about because I have been coaching now for over 10 years and I wanted a way to distill the best practices, the best, best methods, and give that to people almost in a manual or workbook type mm-hmm. style to say, start here, do these things, and you'll experience change. What I didn't anticipate was that I was also going to be writing the book that I needed. And through the price of process of writing, I was, we were talking before we came on live that it took me over four years to land on this idea of sensitive striver and the solution being to learn how to trust yourself. That was also really a personal journey of figuring out, oh, I am this personality type too. There's a reason I have struggled with these things and that my clients have struggled with so many of these same things before. This explains so much of that. And How do we have practical tools to overcome that? I love how you said writing 
a subject like this is very much a process for you too. And that's actually the exact same feeling I feel about communications. Even though I teach communications, I still feel there's so much that I can learn in the communications field. Because for me, I know environments are always changing. The people I'm meeting are always different. So I have to learn how to be adaptable. And just like everybody who is here today, you know, perhaps you can relate to as well, you know, whatever it is that you feel yourself gravitating towards, whatever, you know, issues or subjects that you're trying to learn, you know, perhaps you're gravitating towards it because you're like, wow, there's something about it that really interests me. So that's why I want to study it and want to learn more. So Melody, stop overthinking for work success. I was telling you earlier before we jumped on this, I was like, wow, I feel so seen with this sensitive strivers because yeah, I am, I feel very much like that. Now for people who are on this call who suffer from this overthinking and maybe even that word is not the right word. Maybe it's not even suffering. I don't know, but you tell me Melody, people who struggle with overthinking has that, can that hurt their work success and how do you overcome that? Yeah. Well, first let's, I want to take just a step back here because if anyone out there is resonating with that term sensitive striver, that means you are someone who thinks and feels everything more deeply. And if this is you, you have probably been told your whole life to stop being so sensitive, stop taking everything so personally, stop overthinking it, right? And so we come to distrust our own judgment. So there's that piece that you have been conditioned to not trust your own thoughts or trust your own judgments about choices you make. Not only that, but being highly sensitive is not a choice. It's not a character fault. It comes down to your biology. So people who are more sensitive, and this is a spectrum, just like any personality trait, it's not sort of an on and off switch. You have it or you don't. Everyone is on the spectrum somewhere of sensitivity. But people who are on the higher end of that process more deeply. So their brains actually have more activity, they light up more and they process neurochemicals like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine differently and more deeply than most people. So we may, we take in more information about our surroundings. We're noticing more subtleties and more nuances. We're paying attention to people's body language and shifts in their tone of voice or if they're looking away from us in a meeting we pick up on those things that other people don't and we process that more deeply. We try to make sense of it. We try to connect it to other events. So by default, we are deep thinkers, but where we can get into trouble is when we overthink, <laughs> when all of that information, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to process it effectively and it starts to get in our own way or we get trapped in our heads. So I just wanted to ground us in that because again, it can feel like this is a personal fault in me when in reality it's an extension. Many times it's an overused strength, right? It's a, it's an asset that you have. You just have to learn how to channel it more effectively. I love that. And for those who are listening in and dialing in right now, if you resonated with anything that Melody just said, let us know in the chat function. And what she was just saying is, you know, for folks like us, it's a spectrum, right? But you mentioned that, you know, folks like us, and I'll say me too, it's so true. I feel like I sometimes am so in tune with people's subtle shifts in their tone, in their body language, in their eye contact, like really, really subtle things like that, where I'm like, is that okay? 
Is that what they really mean? Am I in trouble? I remember thinking that all the time. Am I in trouble? Right? And I feel like, especially early on when I started working, I always felt like I was definitely perhaps too sensitive in that regards because I would always doubt and question things. And I think your message here, Melody, is you're saying, well, it's kind of like channeling it in a different way so it doesn't kind of cripple us and make us feel stuck because there were certainly times where I was just like, oh my God, I'm just so scared. I felt like that's what I felt a lot of times. Like, oh my God, I'm just so scared. I don't want to piss people off. I don't want to make people mad. Are they mad? I don't know. Anything like that? Have you felt that way before too? Oh, 100%. And, you know, I really saw an uptick in this when the pandemic happened and there was a shift to work from home where now we were all remote and there was frankly some paranoia of, oh, my boss used a period, not an exclamation point. Are they mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Uh, They didn't respond to my message as quickly as they used to. Maybe, maybe something's wrong, right? We read into these situations and often we blame ourselves. We make something, we make another person's behavior mean something negative about us, (laughs) which is not, sometimes it may be the case, but more often than not, it's not the case. And so I think it is important to realize when this deep thinking is not benefiting us and it tips over into overthinking. And when, you know, in your work, Jessica, that ability to sense nuance, to read between the lines, to be perceptive, to be empathetic and understand what people need is core to communication, right? It helps you adapt your message and make sure it resonates with people more deeply. And so I think also leaning into the upsides that this can give you is important because it's it's easy to lose sight of that when you're so entrenched in, as you said before, you know, struggling or suffering with some of the downsides. And I appreciate you saying that so much because it is so true, you know, from a communication standpoint, because that's the work we do at Soulcast Media, it does help so much to be more perceptive of other people in the communications world than to be under-perceptive because a lot of communications is unspoken communications, right? You know, when we're reading the room, that's part of communications, right? When do you speak up or not speak up, right? Understanding the tone of this environment, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I imagine a lot of the folks who are watching us right now, you care about communications, hopefully, and you care about improving it. And so in some ways, I think, Melody, what you're saying is fantastic. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And when it comes to wanting to be a better communicator, a more confident communicator in the workplace, the fact that you are perceptive about this can actually be an advantage. So for those who are watching right now, please let us know if you have any thoughts or comments. Again, if any of this resonates with you, which I am seeing some of you folks say, yes, this resonates with me, which is fantastic because I want you all to feel I want you all to feel seen, right? I want you all to feel like you're not alone. Melody and I, I think we, I can safely say we both have felt this way as well. So Melody, now let me get to the question of, okay, so it's not necessarily a bad thing to, to be an overthinker, but if you find yourself feeling too crippled, you know, when you're just second guessing all the time, how does one person overcome something like this? How do you perhaps like switch your way of thinking so it's more proactive versus feeling stuck? Yes. Yeah. And you used a lot of good terms there about how this shows up, right? Second guessing your choices or not knowing which direction to go because you feel someone in the chat mentioned feeling overwhelmed, right? So that's some of the ways it can show up at work and hold you back. As well as I see a lot of polling behavior because you are not 
uh, firm in your own judgment. You seek out other people to tell you what to do. What's your perspective on this issue? What do you think I should do rather than learning how to trust yourself? So that's some ways it can show up. But I think the very first place you need to start is recognizing what type of overthinking you're falling into because they're not all created equal. They are not all the same, although we tend to group them all together. So the first type is rumination. This happens when you cannot stop thinking about a presentation and how you got a slide wrong. For example, I found myself ruminating this week. I sent an email out that had a mistake in it, and I just keep coming back to that and replaying that over and over in my head. So that is rumination, being stuck in the past. Hmm. And then we have future tripping. So pretty much the opposite of rumination. Rumination is being stuck in the past. This is about having anxiety over the future. So again, to use a communication example, you may have a meeting with senior leadership coming up and you're so worried about flubbing your words or that you're going to completely forget what you need to say during that. So this is future tripping. You're worrying about the future at the expense of being in the present moment. And then the last type is analysis paralysis. I'm sure we can all relate to this, that you have so many choices, you have so many options pulling for your attention every day that you just feel like you're spinning in circles and you can't decide which way to go either way. So it's when you freeze, essentially, you may procrastinate your choices, you may delay them, right, till something, till you're pushed up against a wall or something bad happens. So those are the three types. And I think a very helpful place to start is even if you keep a log for yourself one day or one week of the types of overthinking that comes up for you and which type is it? So you can get a sense of your own personal patterns because that's going to help you find the solutions that you need that are going to be most effective for you. And I sometimes feel people overthink because they're trying to find the right answer, but sometimes there is no right answer either, right? We sit there and we're mulling it over like, what is the right thing to do? But it's not, it's not always so black and white is what I kind of realized. You know, you can go direction A or you can go direction B. Maybe direction A is better. Maybe direction B is better. But I think it's sometimes when you get stuck here, you don't know which road to take. That's kind of like where I feel a lot of people feel stuck because they don't want to make the wrong decision. But what I've also learned is, Sometimes it's better to make a decision than to kind of just sit there and just wait. Absolutely. Um, making <laughs> making no decision is a decision, right? Sometimes inaction is a choice and that might be the right choice, but many times it, it has a cost, right? And it's not. And what you're talking about though is perfectionism, mm. right? And perfectionism is something a lot of us sensitive strivers struggle with. I certainly do all the time. Perfectionism tricks us into believing that there is only one right way to do something. And we need to find that. We need to find the perfect way to say our words. We need to find the perfect option that no one else is going to be upset over, right? And we become very um, absolute thinkers. Yeah. It's very all or nothing. It's either perfect or it's a failure, right? <laughs> it's either a success or I bombed. 
Um, and so, yes, you're, it goes hand in hand. Perfectionism, people pleasing can also drive overthinking because you're constantly worried about what other people are thinking of you instead of what you need for yourself. It's so funny because I think this idea of like, I have to make the right decision every single time, that probably cripples a lot of people. And, and I think this can also extend outside of work too. I'm sure a lot of it does happen at work because there's usually so many personalities we have to manage, so many responsibilities. But I think this is something outside of work too. To the extreme, sometimes people have a hard time deciding what they want to eat for dinner, right? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, you know, to, to this idea, because there's a couple things you can do for this struggle in particular, if you feel like you have perfectionistic overthinking. So one is embracing what's called satisficing. So it's hmm. an approach to decision-making called satisficing. It's basically satisfying and sufficing smushed together <laughs> and you get satisficing. And that's, compared to people who are called maximizers. So many of us are maximizers. We will examine every option. We want to find the exact right fit. We try to maximize that choice. Satisficers find the best choice for that moment and they make decisions more quickly. So what the research has shown is that people who satisfice are happier. They go for the good enough and they're content with that and get better outcomes because maximizing comes with a lot of costs and delays to it. So if you are someone who, who wants to try on satisficing for size, it's very important to think about what is your key decision criteria? When you're making a choice, what are you trying to optimize for? Are you trying to optimize for ease, uh, convenience, um, cost, customer satisfaction? But what's that key criteria that can be your guiding choice? Rather than having 10, trying to have just one <laughs> and let that guide your decisions, be the filter through which you make your decisions through. I'm looking at the chat function as you're saying all this, and I feel like yeah. so many people are resonating with this. They're like, oh my God, yes, I'm a maximizer, Mark. I, I see I see your comments here. You know, Telma saying I can relate to all three types of overthinking. So I want to um, actually pull up a question that I saw in the audience that was a little earlier, but I think it's a really important question. I would love to get your thoughts on this, um, Melody. This person's asking, this goes back to our work on communications when we were talking about communications and overthinking. This person's asking, so how can you be sure that you are reading or understanding implicit communications properly, especially if you tend to worry or, or, or overthink? Like, what's the balance here? Like, am I really overthinking or is what I'm thinking actually true from mm. what I'm saying? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I wish there was some sort of detector where you could, you know, see, like go see in with truth. Monitor. <laughs> right. If I had a superpower, I would be able to read people's minds. That would that would be my chosen superpower for sure. So we can't ever absolutely know. But I think as sensitive people, again, this is where we have an advantage because you're picking up on more information historically. So you have more data to pull from. Is this person's behavior in that moment different from their usual baseline, right? Is this how they usually act? What else is going on in the context that could explain their behavior? So one tool I teach is called the rule of five and the rule in five, the rule of five encourage you, encourages you to think about five other ways of viewing a situation. 
So what are five other possible explanations for this person's behavior that are not, they hate me or they're mad at me? Maybe, I can't tell you how many times a client comes to me thinking their boss is angry, angry with them because they may seem short or they're a little frustrated. And then they later find out that they had a tough meeting with their boss or got some bad feedback right before that. That was affecting their emotional state. So just putting yourself through that mental exercise of trying to understand someone's broader context is helpful rather than sort of just narrowly thinking that everything is about us and everything is about um, something we've done. Yeah. What do we do wrong? But really, there's usually a bigger context that sometimes we can't even see. Like you mentioned earlier, maybe when your manager was short with you, it's because their manager was short with them and they're just not in a good mood. Not that it makes it right, but it's not always about you. Right. So just kind of also reminding like, okay, you know, yeah, it's not really about me. Maybe there's something else going on. That can sometimes be a really quick way to kind of snap out of it too. Like, okay, I don't know what's going on there, but it's not my fault. Like I did everything I needed to do, right? So just kind of getting out of that mindset as a reminder is helpful. Catherine, I see your comment here. Being micromanaged has interrelated added to my already sensitive striver nature. Micromanage. Oh, I can feel that one actually. Mm -hmm. Being micromanaged is so tough. How do you, any, actually any thoughts on this melody of people who are micromanaged? I feel like that can make the issue even worse for, for sensitive strivers. Yeah. So as sensitive people, it's shown that we're overstimulated more easily. So if we feel watched or we feel put under pressure, that sends our stress skyrocketing more quickly than it does for the other 80% of the population. And that's basically what micromanaging is like. Someone's on top of you putting pressure on you constantly. And so with micromanagers, over communication is so key. You know, they usually are responding from a place of insecurity within themselves Mm -hmm. and a need for control within themselves. So the more you can pace set, for example, to say, okay, after this meeting, I'm going to get this for you by this date. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. You can look out for ABC. The more you can let them know what's coming and over communicate. Here's an update from this client to be proactive about that. The more hopefully they are going to trust you They will hopefully ease the reins. Um, But again, sometimes you encounter someone who is just so painfully insecure that they can't let go. Um, And that's that's a different (laughs) conversation. But I would start with over communication. And to the last point around, you know, how do you how do you gut check if your sense of a situation is accurate? I think it's always fine to say, hey, I'm getting the feeling that you may be frustrated with this. How accurate is that, right? Just reflect back what you're feeling and let the person inform you or correct you either way. Um, But I think that's a a good thing you can do with micromanagers too, to say, I'm sensing you might be concerned that we're behind on this. Where is that coming from? How can we partner together to find a solution? So, yeah. I I agree so much, especially when you're dealing with something, you mentioned a micromanager, communicating the process, communicating what you're doing, checking in with them, even though you feel like you're doing it too much. People who tend to micromanage are just afraid that they're going to be missing out on something because they don't want to look bad, right? Because they're thinking, well, if their manager asks them and they don't know, it's not going to make them look good. So that's why they're perhaps always kind of hovering, right? Because they want to know what's going on. But if you can take a proactive approach and being like, you know, hey, boss, 
just want to let you know, these are the three things I did today. This is what happened, right? And just an FYI, not like you need a response for them, but just say, hey, I thought you might want to know this is what's going on. I can say that proactive communications is one of the most important things you can do for your career success. It's also incredibly important because it also can help you build visibility. And I know that's not so much the topic today, but visibility is how people remember you, how people notice you. It's how you get opportunities, right? It's not just about putting your head down and working hard. It's a given that all of us work hard, but do people see it? That's a question you have to ask yourself. So I want to get everybody's thoughts actually who are watching. By the way, there's almost 90 of you all who are tuning in right now, which is fantastic. Let us know in the chat function, has there ever been a time where you felt your overthinking actually really crippled you? Can you think back to a situation perhaps, I don't know, maybe this week, last week, a month ago, where you were just overthinking about a situation? Let us know in the chat function what that scenario was and, and how did that make you feel? I'm very, very curious to hear what you all have to say in regards to overthinking. Now, Melody, I have to ask you as we kind of wait for people to come in and, and share their thoughts on this, people who just try to not overthink, yet they still feel like they just can't not overthink, right? Because it's like, it's part of who they are. What's like just something they can quickly, just quickly be like in an instant, try to help them snap out of it. Like any like quick tricks, you know, especially in the moment, like how can you catch yourself actually is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite tricks and it's something I share. I have, I have a LinkedIn course called overcome overthinking. So if any of this is resonating with you, check that out. It is tons of tools within there. One of my favorites is to label that voice. Most of the time when we are overthinking, it's a very critical, mean voice. It's saying, you're going to fail at this, or you're not good enough. I'm worried about X, Y, Z. Label that voice. Now, I, in, the, in the course, I talk about giving your inner critic a name and a persona that is separate from you. And this is called psychological distancing. So when we put a label on something, it helps create just a moment of pause where we don't overattach, we don't automatically react to that thought or that feeling. We're able to see it just a little more objectively and separate from us. So I've had people name their inner critic all, all sorts of things, <laughs> uh, Little Monster, Darth Vader, uh, what have you. But I think that's a really easy, quick tip that you say, oh, there's there's Darth event again, you know, coming up and then thinking about what would your inner coach tell you? So you have your inner critic, but you also have your inner coach. What would they tell you in that moment? So it's a very easy way to sort of self coach yourself out of an overthinking spiral. I resonate that with so much. And that's actually something I tell a lot of my clients too, because a lot of people in the communications world, they get a lot of that public speaking anxiety where they say, oh my gosh, no one is going to care about what I have to say or I'm going to completely bomb my presentation, right? So it's these like negative thoughts that people say, and we do the same thing. We label that negative talk. I often like to ask them, okay, well, what would you want to, what do you want to call that negative voice? And I say, what's a vegetable you don't like, right? And I had one of my clients say, I really don't like eating celery. So I'm like, okay, call that negative voice the celery. That's the celery talking, <laughs> right? And when you notice like, okay, this is a celery talking. Okay, how do I switch it back? It's like, what's your other favorite vegetable? Oh, I like mushrooms. All right, let's let's talk more about like the positive stuff. Mushrooms, right? So it's just kind of like 
I know it sounds so silly, but you know what? If it works, it works. And for a lot of, I'm sure your clients, it works, right? It's labeling. It works. Sometimes the simplest and to your point, silly. And that's, that's a very important word here because, you know, I'm reading some of the comments in the chat and a lot of people are talking about, you know, my overthinking caused me a negative attitude or it's very heavy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you can relate to these thoughts differently, it changes your relationship with them as well to one that's more lighthearted. It's less serious. And that that's going to be less stressful on you then. Um, so I just want to respond to some of the comments that are coming in. So, Mark, you asked, can this be shared? So after this event ends, this was going to be something that you absolutely can share. It's also going to be uh, in a podcast form, as well as you all can see there's a VIP pass on our screen right now. So at the end of this event, there's so many things that Melody and I share, a lot of tips and tricks. We're all going to compile it into an article. So if you're a VIP pass holder, grab that because we put all our show notes in our VIP pass. So be sure to grab that if you want to just remember all the notes, because I know it's a lot of times really hard to write down everything that we're saying, but just take a look at that. So I actually just saw this one comment of one person said, you know, this overthinking, they convince themselves out of applying for a job. And oh my gosh, that makes me so sad. I think you just have to try. Melody, what are your thoughts on this? Of just Instead of just thinking and just trying, how can people just build that confidence? Just, just do it. Because I know it's easy to say, okay, just do it. But I know it's not that easy. Yeah. With jobs in particular, right? This is some of that perfectionism coming back in that I need to fit 110% of the requirements or I shouldn't apply at all. Right. And I'm a big advocate. If you fit 60% of the key requirements, then apply because you, you're never going to get an opportunity unless you throw your hat in the ring. And so I think I am always talking to my clients about acting quickly or creating commitments or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Commitment devices that help them take action. So if you say, I'm going to apply to five jobs this week, no matter what, right? And that's your commitment to yourself. And you've made a promise to yourself to follow through on that. Then there's less wavering about, oh, well, I did two today, but the other ones I didn't feel comfortable pulling the trigger on. You've made that commitment to yourself to apply to all five. <laughs> um, and I always tell my clients, some of you are here. I see you in the chat. So thank you for being here. I always tell people confidence is built by following through on some of those small promises you make to yourself. Because if you don't follow through on those small commitments, you're breaking trust with yourself. You're signaling to your subconscious that you are not someone to be trusted, right? So why would you believe your choices? So following through on those small promises. Again, it's not an instant fix, but that's how you build more confidence in yourself, in your judgments, and your convictions over time. Confidence is actually a skill too. I know there are some folks who are innately just so confident. They like walk into a room and they have this bravado and they're just like, oh, they're so gregarious, right? Like that was never me. I was always kind of like, oh God, like, you know, like, what do I do? How do I carry myself, right? That was kind of always how I carried myself. But I love what you said, Melody. It's like these small victories and communications or confidence being a skill that we can constantly hone. But that's the thing. To build confidence, you have to put yourself out there. You have to get out of your comfort zone. And I know it's scary, but for folks like, you know, Melody and I, like we're, we're doing this every day too, right? Like, you know, writing a book, that takes a lot of confidence, right? Melody, you writing this book, I'm sure you probably overthought 
or you're overthinking a lot too, right? Constantly, constantly. It, and it took me four years to even think of the idea for the book for a reason. I was completely stuck in my own way. And once I got out of that, all of the ideas started to flow. But it took me having confidence to say, you know, this idea won't leave me. I believe in this. I think other people will too. And I had to take a leap of faith and, and follow that. There's one comment that I want to pull up here, and I think this is a really interesting one. And this is actually from Connie. And Connie is actually one of our members in our Soulcast Media membership program. So Connie, I'm very, very happy to see you here. So Connie, your statement was, my overthinking at work has caused me to create a negative attitude and it has pervaded my work and interactions with colleagues. I felt everyone was against me. That's such an interesting perspective. So I guess, Connie, what you're saying is because you over you were overthinking so much that it just started to tint, tint kind of like the way you interacted with people, the, people, the way people interacted with you. And it just kind of created this like very negative bubble of sorts. So actually, Melody, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this. When overthinking can make you more negative. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? I, I see this all the time, especially people who are sensitive strivers that build a perception that they are a naysayer. And this happens because as sensitive people, we are attuned to look out for danger. That's why this trait has persisted. That's why it evolved, because it was useful to be very perceptive of your surroundings, to look for threats and dangers that might hurt you or the other people you were with. Now in the workplace, that can come out as being the person who always sees why something's not going to work or what the risks of a, a project are. And I'm. it sounds like many of the people here are vocal about that, which is great, but there is some finesse with how you share your concerns so that you don't become perceived as that negative person because, you know, as Connie was saying, it becomes it can become this self-reinforcing cycle where people respond to you negatively then you feel frustrated and resentful and it, it keeps going round and round. So I do see that a lot that sensitive people are a bit like Cassandra from Greek mythology who Cassandra was a Greek goddess. She uh, was able to see the future, but nobody ever believed her about what was going to happen. And being a sensitive person can sometimes feel like that. You see something coming down the hill and you need to be able to speak up in a way that other people listen. I'm trying to think of some tips, Connie, that I can provide of this kind of like negative cloud that can hang over us. Or Melly, did you have something? Well, one thing I am always talking about with my clients is being solution focused. Mm -hmm. So even if you see a challenge, offer an idea for how you might solve that. So I see there's this issue with our reporting structure. What I wondered is, could we try X, Y, Z to see if that might help with fixing it, right? So not just offering complaints, but turning those rants into requests or turning them into suggestions. It also shows that you are decisive, right? And people want to follow a decisive leader. They don't want to have someone who is, who is waffling or who is just always offering, here's what's wrong. I don't know what to do. You fix it completely agree with that. So folks, if you just heard what Melody said, I'm going to repeat it. So, you know, sometimes when we can kind of have this like negative cloud, because we're seeing all these problems and we just kind of blurt out, oh, this is not working or this sucks. And we say it out loud instead of just kind of saying it that say like, oh, I see that this is not working. Here's how I think we can make it better. 
So going in with a positive lens, even though the situation may have been negative, right? From a communication standpoint, a lot of it has to be, you know, being mindful of your tone as well. Are you going and being like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't like this. Or, you know, or are you saying, like you said earlier, offering solutions, trying to kind of go in with a more, I don't know if cheerful is the right word, but just kind of going in with like a more helpful tone, right? Like a, you know, asking questions is another way to think about it. Um, Catherine, your question for the VIP pass. Yes, you can see these sessions on replay. All the notes are going to be in the VIP pass, which you all can see on your screen. But Yes, having this negative cloud, I think, affects a lot of people who are so sensitive. And it's not because we are negative people. It's because us overthinking so much can cause us to go down into this spiral, right? And it makes me so happy, Melody, that I've seen, like, this is such an engaged audience because I feel everyone's like, gosh, I feel seen. And, and that's the best, right? So as we start to wrap up here, which is crazy, because I feel like you and I can talk about this. We can talk forever. Yeah, we can talk about this for days. But as we kind of wrap up here, Melody, and by the way, before we kind of say this last thing, if anybody has any other questions for Melody and I in regards to overthinking or communications, or how to approach something, this is your time. We're just so grateful that you're here. So please throw it into the chat function. If we missed your question, just drop it back in because sometimes, you know, it just kind of gets pushed up. But anyways, Melody, do you have any just last quick minute tips of what you really want our audience here, our viewers here to really walk away with? Um, something that they can apply immediately today. Yeah. So we talked about a bunch of things, yeah. satisfying and naming your inner critic. There were a bunch of other tips. A few more I would offer is there are so many decisions that we all make every day. And I know for me, where I get into the biggest indecision is sometimes the smallest thing. As you were saying, what to eat or what to wear. And so if we can conserve our energy, if we can avoid decision fatigue and save our energy for what matters most, those bigger choices, that makes a really big difference. So start thinking about where can you create processes or systems so that you save yourself all of those minor little decisions. I personally am extremely boring. I eat pretty much the same thing every single day because I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I don't want to spend energy thinking about my food. I want to spend my energy on my work and my thought leadership because that's, that's what matters more to me than what I eat personally. Um, so look for areas where you can conserve energy and avoid decision fatigue. The other one I'll offer is positive constraints go a very, very long way. If you have a month to complete a presentation, many of us overthinkers, it will take the entire month. <laughs> but if you give yourself one week, you've given yourself a container, right? And sometimes constraints can be too constraining. They can make us panic, but sometimes they give us it's almost like bowling lane bumpers. <laughs> mm -hmm. They give us bumpers so we can't overthink. So one area you can do this is, let's say you have to make a decision that's going to affect other people in your work. You can let the people who are affected by that decision know, you know, I'll let you know by Friday about this. So you've created some accountability for yourself that you can't spend the next two weeks mulling this over. You have to give a decision by Friday. I think that's so interesting about conserving energy. And I actually never thought of it that way. But now that you say it, it's like, it's true. I do think sometimes overthinkers, they put too much energy in the overthinking that they 
that actually it's more about like kind of siphoning your energy into things that can actually really result in actionable things. Because it's true, because for maybe a lot of folks, getting one task done is so quick and easy. But we overthinkers, we sit there for an hour being like, is this email written correctly? <laughs> right? Is Am I coming off the right way? Right? But I like your thought of, you know, finding processes that can simplify your life so that you're not constantly just in this cloud of do I want to do this? Do I want to not do that? Isn't that kind of what, um you know, for example, Steve Jobs, he just wore black all the time because he didn't want to think about that. Or, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg wearing t-shirts because that's just easy. You just grab it because you don't want to exhaust the limited amount of energy we all have every day making small, tiny decisions and having analysis paralysis. Grab 100%. that. Yeah. Right. So that's, and as sensitive people, it's even more important, right? Because we have to be good stewards of our nervous system. We need to focus on energy management first and foremost. And I think a lot of people neglect that, especially when you're sensitive. It's easy to beat yourself up for why do I need to do these things? Why, why is everything so much more difficult for me? But if you accept that and instead work with this trait, it mm -hmm. makes a world of difference. It's so funny. I see some folks about the celery common. Poor celery, <laughs> yeah, Steven. Poor celery. <laughs> it will seem better when it goes on a date with peanut butter. This is true. I think celery and peanut butter do taste great together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very true. It's probably my preferred way of actually eating celery um, or peanut butter with apples. I like that too. But <laughs> Yes. Um, okay. Actually, I saw this one comment or question about um, sometimes is it necessary to count one, two, three to make a decision? So I'm not really sure the, the framing of that, but I imagine maybe that's a way to kind of get you to make decisions quickly. I don't know, Melody, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I think there's truth to this, that um, sort of counting down quickly, making the decision, short circuits, that deeper, oh, but what about this? But you haven't considered this. It short circuits some of that overthinking. Mm -hmm. There's a time and a place for this. Now, those sort of split second gut decisions are very valuable, you know, and, and of course, my whole thing is as sensitive people, we don't trust ourselves and the knowledge we have nearly enough. And so once you lean into that intuition, that sort of split second gut feeling of this is the way I want to go, I don't want to go this way, that can be very valuable. Now, caveat is that sometimes those split second judgments are not helpful and they can lead to bias, for example, is a big area where we see this. So there's a time and a place for this. And I trust that the audience <laughs> knows those moments where you need to lean into and listen to your gut. It's usually about those big decisions that don't have one clear cut answer as you were talking about at the beginning. There's different ways to go. There's factoring in your personal preferences and you do need to lean into what is my, what is my gut and my intuition say? about this situation. And that's not some airy fairy thing. It's literally accessing the wealth of knowledge you have from everything you've picked up from your experiences, the world around you, and really leveraging that to inform your decisions in a positive way. Have, Melody, have you ever had somebody ask you, okay, I get about the gut instinct, but I don't know how to listen to it, or I don't know what it's supposed to feel like. I, and, and I preface this because, so for example, uh, my husband, I always tell, like, he actually overthinks a lot too. And I'm like, for me, I've been able to kind of like, yeah, go with my gut. And I try to explain like, 
you know, just go with your gut. But he's like, I don't even know, like, what does that even mean? Like, what is my gut? Like, how do I feel it? So Melody, how does one know it's the gut instinct? Like, how does someone do that? Yeah, well, I actually have a whole, there's actually a diagram in my book, Trust Yourself, about the difference between a, f a fear and intuition. Because often that's hard to differentiate. What, what is fear telling me I should or shouldn't do something? What's my gut? telling me I should or shouldn't do something. So the thing about intuition is it's often very quiet. It tends to have, it's energetic, which is hard because it's not concrete. And so tends to be very quiet, tends to be more calm, tends to have our best interest at heart, whether that is going for a challenge because it's going to allow us to grow or slowing down and going at our own pace. It has more of that inner coach feel versus fear is very urgent. Your body may feel very tense and not relaxed and open and spacious. It may feel very critical or you're driven by urgency or fear of missing out, right? So that's some of the differences between the two. If you want more on this, I have an article about this. So feel free to message me afterwards and I'll, I'll send that right to you. I, I, and here's the thing, you know, we won't always get it right. And I, I fall victim to this too. And I'll share a quick story. A few months ago, I bought something because I had this FOMO, fear of missing out. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, in my guts though, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's the right decision to buy this thing, but it seems like everybody else is buying it. So let me just do it. In the end, it actually wasn't a good decision. I shouldn't have bought this one thing. But in the end, I was not listening to my gut. I was having all these external influences influence me. And I was like, mm -hmm. shoot, I knew I shouldn't have done that. So for me, like I said, we won't always get it right. I didn't get it right. Right. And so I ended up making a decision that wasn't right for me. And but here's one thing that I think we didn't really talk about is sometimes you just have to learn to accept and then let go. And realize that you can always make a different decision. There are very few decisions that are entirely irreversible or unchangeable once they're made, right? And so realizing that you will always have a chance to make a different choice, I think can be yeah. freeing. Yeah, for the most part, right? You know, yes. hopefully, you know, we're not making some crazy life altering exactly. decisions, right? Like a medical decision or something like that. But for the most part, you know, Yes, it may not have been the right decision at the time. Maybe we made a wrong decision because we were overthinking at the time. But once you make a decision, once you commit to going down that path, you know, maybe it wasn't the right decision, but it doesn't mean that there aren't more decisions to make. There's still more decisions to make down the road, right? And then using that as a, le a lesson and being like, okay, well, that didn't work out, but what are my options? Maybe I can just go now this way, right? It's right. Just and, and also, what did I learn? What did this tell me? What, where did I steer myself wrong? Or what did I get right here that I enjoyed, right? Learning from that continues to refine your ability to make better decisions. As we wrap up here, I wanna end with one last question that I hear, that I ha actually see right now. And this is a really good one. And I think this could be our final question as we start to wrap up here. If somebody says, you are overthinking, Right. Somebody says it in that way. Okay, you are just way overthinking. What is the best way to respond to that? Yeah. In this case, I'm taking this from the perspective of somebody else is criticizing you and you don't believe you're overthinking. Right. That's that's how I'm taking it. Kind of when somebody tells you you're being too sensitive. Right. I think in this situation, reframe it for the other person to say, 
actually what I'm doing is thinking deeply and considering the various angles here. And I think we both can agree that that's useful for the project or the company or what have you. So reframe it for them, because I think people try to almost gaslight people who are deep thinkers, who want to be deliberate, who are a bit um, slower on taking action, which sensitive people are. We like to deliberate and we tend to be more cautious. Mm -hmm. So you have to it's up to you to communicate to other people the value in that. Um, And I think also as teammates, colleagues, managers, leaders, we have a responsibility too to reframe when someone says, oh, that person was just overthinking or so-and-so never speaks up, to reframe that for people and say, you know what, actually, she's extremely thoughtful. And I really appreciate that she always comes up with really great insights for the team. And so that we're not falling into this paradigm that you were talking about earlier, that people who are confident are look and act one certain way, uh, but that this diverse way of thinking actually brings a lot of value to the table. I love that you said that. And it's also calling it out to me like, you know, I know, yes, Jessica may be slower making decisions, but I actually find that she's quite thoughtful that when she does make a decision, it's usually a right decision, right? So calling it out and like showcasing the value when other people are just not being patient, right? Exactly. But I think you said it, uh, you know, beautifully. So I... I have to say, this was such a fun chat, Melody. (laughs) It was wonderful. And so many great comments. I I am just, I've been sitting here reading them and I'm just so, um, it's always so wonderful to see how thoughtful people are in the chat and so open about sharing their experiences. So thank you, because that makes it, that makes this this experience so much more rich. It makes me so happy because I feel like this is, this is a great audience. And I feel so thankful that you all are taking your, your morning, your afternoon, your evening, wherever it is you're dialing in from to watch this. And hopefully you all can walk away feeling heard, feeling seen, and just know that you're not alone. I mean, Melody and I, we both resonate with this because we both feel this way too. So as we wrap up here, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be compiling all many, many tips and tricks that both of us shared um, in our VIP communications pass, which you can see here on your screen. You can scan it with your phone. So take a look at the VIP communications pass. It's not actually just for this event. We take all our show notes from all our Soulcast Media Live events and we put it into our VIP pass. All our Soulcast Media Live events are communications related. So you won't ever have to worry about missing one of these. So Melody, how can people get in contact with you? How can they find you? Tell them where they can um, get a hold of your book as well. Yes, you can find me here on LinkedIn. Just type in Melody Wilding and follow me. I also have LinkedIn learning courses. I mentioned one of them, Overcome Overthinking. And thanks to the folks who are sharing that link in the chat. I have others on uh, saying no in the workplace, managing burnout, taking work less personally. So I think that will resonate with a lot of you. And you can find me at my website, MelodyWilding.com and the book, Trust Yourself, wherever books are sold. So Gosh. thank you so much for having me. We need me. to have you back on, Melody. I feel there's so much other things we can talk about. Like, yeah, how do you say no without burning bridges, right? That should be another topic, actually. Totally. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, Melody. Thank you all. Or thank you for being here. And thank you, everybody who tuned in. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member 
to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn, and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating.